TMZ episode 1717. That's William Quigley, who you don't hear yet. I'm Ken Rakowski, who's talking right now. We are your one-stop place for everything that is something coin-related, altcoin, cryptocurrency, blockchain. We are your duo, your tag team for what's going on. William Quigley is a seasoned Let's see, uh, venture capitalist, entrepreneur, he is a risk taker, and I sit on the sidelines watching some of those crazy risks that he has taken. What's one of the stupidest investments you've ever made, William? Uh, stupidest investment i ever made. Oh, back in the dot-com era, I invested in some companies that uh, were selling products that didn't exist to customers who didn't exist. Not a good investment. Did you invest in pets.com? No, but I did invest in PetSmart.com, and that wound up being a good investment. That was a good investment, but Pets.com was not a good investment. What was their biggest handicap? What was their biggest problem? Uh, probably people at the time wanted to get uh, uh, pet food sent, and it was too expensive. <laughs> no, it wasn't too expensive for the vet pet food. It was too expensive for the shipping for the yeah, pet food. That's what I meant. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. I couldn't believe that. So William and I, of course, every week, episode 17, we are diving into what's going on in the cryptocurrency space. There's a lot of shows out there, but there is not one that has the brilliance of William and all the other people we have on the show. So thanks a lot for hanging out with us. I want to talk about this thing called crypto billionaires. I've heard this term thrown around like crazy. It sounds like it's the new Forbes list of who these people are. One thing I've noticed they all have in common. They are all dudes. Yeah. And of course it's a list of people who, uh, you know, uh, spoke to or contacted, uh, Forbes. Right. I mean, in other words, there's a lot that list doesn't include too many people, let's say from China, who don't want to be known as crypto billionaires. Well, actually, I would say the list isn't it doesn't include a lot of people that are crypto billionaires that don't want to be known. Yeah. And it's the, the thing that's probably probably not well known to our audience. Um, the Forbes list, the like the Forbes 400, that uh, was always a very big issue for them. Them, right the big uh, once a year they do that list and uh, uh, they have people who both send them in a bunch of information saying here I prove that I am a billionaire and then you have people who would pay them and say please don't mention me but when it comes to the non-crypto space it's actually much easier to determine how much someone owns you know you can see property titles um, you can see if they're major stockholders, because a lot of that information has to be uh, reported. It's much harder uh, in the crypto space. Well, I think it's harder to find those billionaires. Some of them are pretty obvious. The ones that have created one of those altcoins or were early in the game knowing that they didn't lose a lot. Let's face it, Chris Larson, uh, fairly easy to recognize that he's done pretty well. He's one of the co-founders of Ripple. So we can we can look at Ripple. We know it's already mined, which William doesn't like that much. Um, he's rated at number one right now at about seven to eight billion dollars in cryptocurrency dollars, because that means he would have to cash everything out because, again, you know, as well as I know, William, when somebody is paper billionaire and a real billionaire, two different numbers. Yeah, that's true. Although most uh, billionaires are uh, heavily paper billionaires, meaning 
they don't have that money sitting in US dollars or euro or yen in a bank account. They, it's not liquid. Yeah, it's not they liquid. own something. And if theoretically they sold it and they sold it at a certain price, they would baby be a billionaire. It's hard to know. But if you look at somebody like Mark Zuckerberg, Mark, all of his wealth, of course, is in his stock in Facebook. And if he wanted to liquidate that, he would not be able to liquidate his $35 billion right away. It would take a long time to do it properly before it crashes the Facebook stock. Yeah, and as and not even and it wouldn't even necessarily be because of so much selling pressure. It would be because of who was selling it. Right. Why is Mark Zuckerberg selling Facebook? Is he no longer positive? Think about Bill Gates. Bill Gates did not really start to significantly reduce his position in Microsoft until he was no longer CEO of Microsoft. That's right. He was a chairman and let Mr. Balmer go in there and lose $330 billion <sighs> while he was CEO. He lost to Google. He lost a Google and Microsoft value. Blew my mind. He's got to go down as one of the worst CEOs ever of a publicly traded company. Period. Yeah, though, 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 to defend him a little on that point, Bill Gates retired. I mean, Bill's timing was perfect. He retired. When Bill Gates retired, the value of Microsoft was vastly overstated, right? Yeah, but wait a second. They could have acquired a bunch of companies properly. Yes, they could have. Like Yahoo was one started. of them. Yeah, there were so many opportunities. And if you remember, they theoretically were one of the biggest companies last to the game of TCPIP, being the internet. They were really one of the last, and most people don't re recognize that. Quite frankly, Novell should be one of the hottest companies right now, but that wasn't done properly. But we don't want to get into the tech space. That's another conversation. I thought it was interesting, a story I just read. By the way, our top list, um, Chris Larson, who's 57 years old, is one of the contributors to Ripple, like I said, $8 billion. Uh, Joseph Libin, who's 53 years old, and he's with Ethereum. If you go down the list, everyone is 35 and above. There's really no one that's in their 20s that's in this list that's of true. the top. Yeah, so they're seasoned. Most of them understand finance. They understand the market. They're not lucky. Like, oh, wow, I got lucky. Almost everyone on this list is fairly educated in some type of fintech environment yes. or understands digital assets. Do you agree with me on that? Absolutely. Okay. And I need to establish that because when I start hearing people going, yeah, I became a billionaire. It was completely out of luck. I don't, be, I don't believe that. It's all BS. You know, this is, a, this is a, a game of hedging, understanding, and it's about sensitivity, not just guesswork. Not at all. Everyone on this list, there's no guesswork. Even the Winklevosses that are number four on this list, 36 years old, these guys aren't idiots. Even though the social network movie kind of placed them as idiots, these two guys are smart guys. Yeah, just because you get defrauded by somebody like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't mean you're an idiot. I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, and and the Winklevoss twins were uh, were um, in the crypto space pretty darn early, really you know, they early. Made big bets early on, really early. And by the way, of course, someone who we talked about last week, which is Brock Pierce, he's in the list. Also, he's at number nine, and it's just something you and I both know. We know many of these people on this list, and I believe these numbers are undervalued. That's just my thought. Uh, yeah, it could be undervalued, uh, though, you know, crypto, when these things were done, uh, cryptos were twice as valuable as they are right now because of the uh, the drop recently. Yeah, 
Yeah, the interesting drop, which we'll touch upon. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about how Bermuda is launching its own cryptocurrency task force. The world's biggest cryptocurrency exchange is heading to Malta. Looks like Yahoo Japan is going to be launching their own exchange. Crypto kitties still meowing. <laughs> Twitter's CEO says, hey, Bitcoin will become the world's single currency. I don't think so. Dutch court finds Bitcoin a legitimate transferable value. And we'll look at an altcoin specifically for the habanero pepper. Plus, I have a game for William Quigley, which he doesn't even know about. We'll do that. We have a lot to hang out with right here on Coin DMZ. Episode 17, Coin DMZ, Ken Rakowski, William Quigley. We are here to help you understand what's going on in the global space of cryptocurrency. We, we don't dive deep into the technical side. We talk about what's going on with people and politics in the crypto and blockchain space because, well, I believe it's important. I think William does too. You could go to all the tech space, our sites, and dive, dive deep into it if you wanted to. But what's going on with the world right now kind of shows the changes around governments, people, and businesses starting to look at Bitcoin, at altcoin, blockchain is the next alternative. We like to maybe refer to it as the next iteration of the internet, but it's fascinating to see. Hey, so I did a search on Bermuda besides the Bermuda Triangle popping up. An article that dated back in November of 2017 talked about the government of Bermuda is looking at creating an initiative all around establishing a safe zone for cryptocurrency. Now, that was back in November. Well, it looks like that's been accelerated because as of today, Bermuda is trying to become that haven for all that is crypto, right? Yeah, yep. And uh, it makes sense. You have... The Cayman Islands also doing uh, a lot to welcome cryptocurrency-based companies. For uh, our audience, uh, you know, one of the things you you may not know is that just creating a crypto company or a blockchain company requires all kinds of work with lawyers and, and accountants. It's confusing. There's no real rules. Uh, and yet each country uh, has has local agencies that you know try to say hey we're responsible for this in the US there's multiple agencies who claim they're responsible for cryptocurrencies and blockchain and so uh, you have uh, competing rules you're trying to figure out how to follow it's very confusing so when a government and typically the smaller countries uh, say all right uh, we're gonna try to create a friendly environment for crypto and blockchain companies, it's always a good sign. And uh, one of the things that they can do is they can issue licenses to companies so that the companies can go to banks, for instance, and say we're we're regulated and licensed in a in a um, you know in a proper jurisdiction. So please, you know, do services with us. So governments recognizing these types of businesses is a very good step. So, William, what happens then if we look at what was deemed the tax havens or those tax shelter countries around the world, and they all got kind of caught with the United States government, the IRS getting involved? We saw that UBS, if you remember, this whole issue of a lot of people yeah, sheltering money in different islands around the place. And then all of a sudden, the Panama documents came out three or four years ago. How can Bermuda become this, let's say, um, 
crypto-friendly nation, it still has to have reporting relationships with the United States federal government, right? Yes, yes, it does. Uh, so uh, first, I would say that the uh, uh, 2017 Tax Reform Act uh, that got signed in in the end of December, uh, you know, last year, uh, really changed a lot of the rules for um, offshore structures, making the so-called tax havens pretty much irrelevant now. It's, uh, it's, it was strange to me, maybe these things just don't get much press because they, uh, they don't affect people's daily lives, but this was a massive change globally. The U.S. had tax treaties with dozens of countries around the world offering preferential rates uh, for income earned in those countries that got repatriated to the United States. And uh, all of those got blown up by this tax act. So uh, it is, it is uh, now pretty much no tax advantage to doing something offshore versus onshore. And that was the goal, to get uh, more jobs back to the United States. And uh, I think Bermuda has a good relationship uh, with the United States. And I think they do for cryptocurrency licensing um, will be will be good for companies that want to do business in the United States. I like how close it is. It's an easy little flight. Just jump on an airplane right there from Miami and you're in Bermuda. Hey, uh, Binance. Is it Binance or Binance? How do you pronounce it? Do you know? It ain't Binance. It ain't bananas. Uh, most of us call it Binance. Binance, right. Binance, which I didn't know it's considered the largest crypto exchange out there. Did you know that? Well, yeah. And of course, these things change every day, right? Different because this is based on volume of transactions. So, uh, you know, BitThumb and uh, uh, Bitfinex and Binance, uh, those are the ones that typically are in the top. But it also it's not a very valid uh, comparison because it depends on what trading pairs you're talking about. Are, do they do tons of Bitcoin to Ethereum, but not much of uh, the altcoins? You know, that kind of thing. So, uh, uh, but in general, they're big. And, and Binance is certainly a, a, a major exchange. Yeah, I saw what happened. We're recording this on the weekend uh, around the 24th and 25th of March. And over, I think on Friday, it looked like Binance was uh, shut down uh, or suspended, excuse me, in Japan. So as you brought up, Japan's one of the more friendlier countries yes. when it comes to crypto. But there are some issues with Japan and Binance. Uh, Binance just being in, I think Hong Kong is where it originates, has had a lot of issues around just the Chinese government getting involved. So Binance is deciding to move and they're moving to another location, another island, by the way, like Bermuda, that is very crypto friendly. Where are they going? They're going to Malta. Love Malta. Have you been to Malta? Well, yeah, it's obviously where the malt shake was invented. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, William is not right on that, but uh, I do like malt. And uh, I haven't had a malt in a long time. Have you? I have not. <laughs> I like malt. That was Dairy Queen right there. I got to get a malt. And they go, oh, you're like an old man. Yeah, I like malts. So Malta, which does have some of the most favorable tax 
incentives over the EU. It's actually one of the nicest islands. They are going to become now the world headquarters for a Binance or Binance. And uh, one of the guys on the Forbes list, which is, is it Chao or Zhao? Zhao Ching. I can't say his we name. We call him How CP. Do you CP is the, is the uh, co-founder of Binance. So they're going over there, the little island nation. Why are they going there? Is it just because it's more of a favorable area or is it because the Chinese government's not kind of watching what they're doing? Well, I would I don't know because I haven't asked them, but but I can speculate based on, you know, what Malta offers. Uh, Malta is uh, is an easier country to do business in than some of the bigger countries in the EU. You, certainly compared to something like a France or you know a, a UK, um, <laughs> as you can see if you if you read about Binance's uh, uh, decision to move to Malta, the Prime Minister of of Malta actually talked about it. So they're a small country, a couple hundred thousand people. So this is a this is like uh, important to them. They're going to create a Malta Digital Innovation Authority, and that'll be the licensing arm that licenses crypto companies. Um, I think it's very valuable. I used to do a lot of events, specifically fintech events in Malta. They've really tried to be positioned as this new banking realm of the EU, uh, everything in between what's going on with the Middle East and Africa and Europe. It's, you know, position wise, it's right there in the center. It's an interesting move. We'll see what happens. Let's talk about Yahoo Japan. I know what you just said, everyone. Yahoo Japan. Yes, actually, I believe Yahoo Japan was the biggest division of Yahoo at one point in time. It was a, financially, it was the biggest asset they had. Well, after uh, their ownership of, uh, of Alibaba. Right, after that. But Yahoo Japan, which is still out there, what's going on with Yahoo Japan? They're getting deep into the cryptocurrency market. Well, yeah, obviously, Japan has, uh, as we've talked about on this show, has been really supportive of cryptocurrencies and it's it's interesting that it is because whatever it was five years ago when the only crypto exchange or bitcoin exchange in the world at the time uh blew up that was called uh, mount gox uh and uh not a lot happened after that in in japan and then just in the last call it year and a half japan government has expressed a lot of interest in in helping uh build a, a blockchain ecosystem in the country. There's probably at least a dozen companies that have applied for licenses. I thought it was interesting, like you, that uh, this name from the past, right? I, I forget even what Yahoo's now called since it's been acquired by, by Verizon. It's some weird name. Um, it's a, uh, like a portmanteau of, uh, of uh, Alibaba okay. and something. I got to go look. I got to go look because I'm curious yeah, now. It's what... Baba something. Anyway, um, uh, but it's still alive and kicking in Japan. And of course, Yahoo Finance was one of the best places to research stocks if you were uh, you know, an individual stock trader. So I think this is good. And I think Yahoo doing it uh, is another indication that this stuff's going mainstream. All right. It's called Oath. O-A-T-H. Oh, I thought there was another name for it, but okay. <laughs> what a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Remember, this is the company that also, I think, bought majority of the Yellow Pages. Oh, and you know what yep. I'm thinking, Ken? I'm sorry. I'm what? thinking of the spinoff company, the Yahoo spinoff company that owned 
the uh, 24% stake of Alibaba. Oh yeah, that was a separate, that was a, a that's a tracking stock too, yes, I think. Yes, it is. That's it. So it, you know, what I like about Yahoo Japan is one of their big investors, of course, is SoftBank. SoftBank BB was literally the the next iteration of the phone company and the original OTT for Japan. Very forward-thinking entity in Japan. So for them to think, hey, let's get into crypto, very smart. Why would a government get excited about this, the size of Japan? Why would they support this and endorse this? Well, I think very logically, all countries have learned that he who has economic dominance has global power. And uh, if you are a dominant uh, force in a particular area of, uh, of technology that winds up being important across the globe, that's going to make your country more relevant. And there's a lot of countries that initially were very... Uh, concerned about blockchain-based businesses that have now started coming around. I'd say Russia was one, uh, certainly um, India, and Japan was sort of neutral, but Japan is, I would say, globally the country with the most uh, positive things to say and, and the least heavy-handed. You know, uh, you look at some countries like France where, you know, you get the feeling they'd like to outlaw the ownership of cryptos. Uh, That's true. Uh, whereas in, in, in Japan, I think uh, Japan needs some economic development, right? It's been suffering uh, for in semi-permanent recession for maybe 25 years. So uh, uh, I think this is why. Episode 17, just to give you a snapshot, what's going on in the markets right now. Bitcoin is at $8,700. Ethereum is at 531 Ripple, William's favorite, is at $0.63. Cents. And Bitcoin Cash is at $1,005. It blows my mind how well Bitcoin Cash out of nowhere has done so well. I know. Keep in mind, of course, <laughs> low fees. You know, that's a big yes. deal. That is a big deal. Hey, when Crypto Kitties, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Crypto Kitties, when it came out, I don't know about you. I looked at it and I said, oh, Tamagotchi or Tamagotchi for yes. the digital space. Yes. Right? You remember that? Yeah, I remember. You were a big fan. You used to dress up in costume. No, that was uh, Cabbage Patch. Cabbage Patch Kids. I still do that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, <laughs> so, I do remember it well. Well, it became a collector's item. People went crazy over it. It spiked during the holiday season. I forget what year it was. Crypto Kitties came out. I don't know about you, William, but I laughed. I go, oh, yeah, like that's going to do something. Well, it's it has. Matter of fact, Crypto Kitties right now um, let me see if I get this number right. Since its inception, the game has registered at least 23,266,439 dollars. 23 million in registration. That's right. Does that that that's crazy? <laughs> yeah, I mean for yeah, for a new game category. Uh I you know, I uh but what's the game? There's no game. Well, yeah, you breed the cats and, and out of that breeding comes uh, a random new cat, which may have certain rare uh, elements and features, which makes it, uh, you know, scarcer and therefore theoretically more valuable. Um, and and uh, it's done very well, given the fact that, as you said, there's, quote, no game. It's a very primitive game. You now have about 150 
CryptoKitty type games. We call them at Wax, we call these uh, a crypto collectible games. Oh, got it. Okay. The games typically revolve around uh, uh, doing something and uh, uh, generating a new token uh, that has some rarity elements to it. Uh, where this goes, I don't know. Uh, this could be like these crypto collectible games, could be like uh, the Flash game phenomenon, which, which became huge and hundreds of millions of people played for many years until the dawn of mobile. Or it could be more like HTML5, kind of just disappear in a flash. We'll know, we'll know maybe in a year. Well, I think it's pretty amazing to actually see where this has gone. And the Flash games, remember that Shockwave? I mean, there were, Macro Media at the time had a massive portal all around those Flash games. They did incredible well, incredibly well. Well, remember, um, uh, Yahoo. Yahoo Games, which yeah. was the Flash-based yep. games. Uh, That's right. Had four Pogo. million monthly active users. Yeah, Pogo was another one. They, they did real well until Apple came out and destroyed all that. Apps destroyed it. Yeah. <laughs> that iPhone, man, Steve Jobs, did you hurt a lot of businesses? I want to talk about someone who I find to be very fascinating. He's an unusual guy. I've hung out with him a few times. Jack Dorsey, who. I believe will probably run for mayor of New York. Just wait to watch and see. He runs two publicly traded companies, which is pretty interesting. It is. He's the CEO of Twitter and he's the CEO of Square. Two companies there. And I don't know how he does it. I found this story more impressive of what he said because of Square, not because of Twitter. Jack Dorsey basically said, hey, watched Bitcoin become the single currency of the world. As the Twitter CEO, eh, that didn't really matter much to me. But as the CEO of Square, that meant more. Does that make sense, William? Yeah, it does, because Square is a big payment business. I, I, uh, uh, I haven't really heard Jack Dorsey uh, say much about the crypto uh, market, um, at least not over the years. Uh, but his comment to me was... Uh, was amateurish i don't I, I you know when when i hear somebody say uh uh bitcoin will be the <clears throat> the single uh cryptocurrency uh i mean i just I, I guess he could be right i don't believe he's right uh to me ken it would be akin to in 1994 saying you know what there's just going to be a one internet site because what else do you need you know you'll just have one internet site uh it it it, uh, the world's going in the exact opposite direction. Uh, you know, two years ago, we maybe had 100 coins. Now we have uh, maybe 2,000 coins and growing. Uh, so uh, there will be many, many more uh, blockchains and many different coins riding on those blockchains, I think. Mm, uh, so I, I agree I with everything wrong. you're saying. I think he's wrong here. I mean, like, what governments, let's say governments started to use a cryptocurrency, but they're going to use this like the equivalent of like the, the euro, uh, you know, this, this like multi-country currency. No, I don't see that happening. I, I agree with you. But again, because of who he is, I believe right now between Stripe and Venmo and Facebook, Square is one of the biggest 
payment processors that's out there right now when it take, comes to taking um, online payments. So for him to say it, there's got to be a reason. It's got to be easier than him just throwing that out. Well, yeah, which no, I like to they're, understand. They're, they're uh, launching a um, uh, Twitter, or rather, uh, 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 Stripe. Stripe is launching a S- Square. Sorry. Square, you mean? Square. The reason yeah. uh, Dorsey is saying this is because Square is launching a Coinbase type company, a company that you will be able to buy cryptocurrencies with using a credit card. Ah, that's interesting. So Dutch court, talking about Holland, love this country. It's wonderful. Maybe they're setting a precedence. Maybe this was important. So they're looking at Bitcoin as a transferable value, meaning it's got a physical tangible sense to it is this the first time you've heard this or is this happening in other parts of the world well i haven't heard of a particular court case where somebody was saying this guy owes me a bitcoin and the court said we are willing to review that contract and enforce it if necessary because we uh view bitcoin as a real thing the exact opposite happened when Mt. Gox went bankrupt, initially the Japanese bankruptcy courts said, uh, well, all of you people who had uh, Bitcoin on Mt. Gox when it went bankrupt and lost everything, uh, we don't believe uh, uh, virtual items exist and have any value. So you didn't lose anything because the things you lost had no value. That was literally the Mm. Japanese court's opinion. And uh, over time, they modified it a bit. But so I would say from that extreme position, having a Dutch court in 2018 say, hey, you owe somebody a Bitcoin, we're going to enforce that contract because we deem a Bitcoin to be a value. In a way, Ken, it's sort of crazy that a court uh, would not have that opinion, right? Because if I owe you 10 Bitcoin, what is that worth? Uh, uh, 10 Bitcoin uh, today. About nine, about $90,000. $90, you would want the court to enforce that contract. Absolutely. That's why I found this to be actually very exciting because that means they see as a tangible asset. Now that does, is that a taxable asset? United States government, the IRS sees it as a taxable asset, right? They would see an appreciation yeah. on the so if they see that as a taxable asset, why wouldn't all the other uh, legitimate government agencies see it as a, a legitimate well, v- I would real say asset? This. Most governments, most of the big governments, I think, believe that uh, if one of their citizens makes money uh, trading cryptocurrency, that that citizen uh, has to pay taxes on it. I think that's true of most of the of the bigger countries. So William and I, when we come back, we have a hot story to tell you about. Plus I have a little game that William, of course, knows nothing about whatsoever. And if you want to hang out with us anytime, drop us an email. We're at hello at coindmz.com, episode 17. When we come back, something spicy ready for you here on Coin DMZ. Coin DMZ, William Quigley. You can find him somewhere in California floating around at all the conferences and trade shows. He's a very sought-after public speaker. You want to get him to speak at your event. 
He cost a few Bitcoin, but it's worth it. Just drop me an email. Hello at coindmz.com. I could arrange that for you. I could get him or um, who else? Um, Steven Seagal or Brock Pierce. No, I don't know. Chuck Norris. Hey, would you like to hear Chuck Norris speak about Bitcoin? Yeah. I'm okay with that. I really am. So, William, I've heard of the banana coin, which we've talked about. We have talked about coins that are attached to physical assets. I've been seeing a lot of the property coins popping up where you are you have a contract with a piece of property and they found a way to do a fractional ownership through a coin. Well, it looks like Mexico is saying, hey, we just found what was going on down in Venezuela. Very interesting being the uh, the petrol coin. Well, why don't we take one of our assets? When you think of Mexico, what do you think of? I think of habaneros. Don't answer that, William. Habaneros, that's the answer. Habanero peppers. Good. Okay, I just want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. These are the spicy chili ones. Mm. They have basically created a coin that's pegged to habanero peppers. Does this excite you? Well, it it excites me, not because I'm into the peppers, but it excites me that it shows how powerful of an economic stimulus cryptocurrencies are. You're talking about a farmer running this uh, hydroponic garden in, I think, in Quintana Roo. And uh, the fact that this guy was able to issue a coin, um, you know, a, a, a blockchain-based coin, and sell it to people and raise... I don't know how much it was. Was it? Uh, uh, was well, it's it 500 pesos each, about 27 dollars? bucks. He got a million bucks. He, so they're 27 each, each one of these coins. The agro coin is what it's called. It's backed by a square meat of hydroponic products. Um, but it just shows there's some validity here. You could almost put a coin towards anything. Yeah, for this guy to have issued stock, right, and that stock to be tradable, uh, would have cost far, far more than probably yeah. the one million he was trying to raise. Uh, so here's a, a farmer, you know, in uh, in Mexico who's able to use cryptocurrencies to expand his operations. I think it's it's fantastic. Again, the coin is called what? Uh, is what is it? Is a, is a I don't know. Agro. Agro. Right. Agrocoin. The agro coin, 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 coin. Yes. And when we think of coins, we think of funny coin names or real coin names. We started playing this game a couple of episodes ago, and we are going to continue on because I'm going to put William in the hot seat. William, I got a few uh, real coins and fake coins. You got to tell me if they're real or fake. Are you ready to go? Fire away. The first one is the metal coin, M E T A L. That's its symbol, real or fake? Uh, I'll say real. It is real. It goes for one cent. It's got about 1.2 billion or million dollar market cap. All right, here we go. So William's ready to go. He obviously is in the hot seat. He's doing a great job. The next one is called the gay coin. G-A-Y is its symbol. What do you think, real or fake? Real. It is real. Two cents right now. That's what it's going for. <laughs> All right, William, you got two for two. Next one, the Lucky Charms token. Lucky Charms, it's L-K-C-M. I know the Crunchberry coin is real, so I'm going to say not real for 
Lucky, lucky, lucky charms is not real. William, three for three. The next one is called the Ponzi coin. P-O-N-Z. The Ponzi coin. What do you think? Well, I want a Ponzi coin, but let's see. Ponzi coin. Tops, don't type it in. Don't. I'm going to say real, and I think I've even seen the pitch. It's six cents. It's got a $53,000 market cap. William, you are one, to, you're four for four. Here we go. Our next one is the whack a mole coin. That's W K A M. Real or fake? Whack a mole. Mm, fake. You're typing it in. I know you are. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Was I right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. The Whack-A-Mole coin is not. By the way, if you want to take these coin names, they are completely available. Just to let you know, the Lucky Charms and the Whack-A-Mole coin. Our last one, let's see if William's going to be 100%. It's the Putin coin. Yes, I'm talking about Vladimir Putin. Does he have his own coin? Oh, this is a tough one. I'm going to say... Yes. You're right. Oh, my gosh. William. By the way, because Trump's got his own coin, we know Putin's got his own coin, too. That one's got an almost an $8 million market cap. It goes for about four cents. William, you were on fire today. I have a wow. feeling the Putin coin's going to be accepted as uh, for tax payments <laughs> in Russia. And maybe in the United States at the rate things are going. Maybe. So, um, William, I know that you are traveling, like I said, around the world. We'll be giving people some updates soon. I'm not sure if you notice, we actually do a nice little mailing of the Coin DMZ show. You get the updates of what's going on, what the headlines are. Just uh, send me an email, hello at coindmz.com. William, I really appreciate you hanging out with us. What have you learned today? Oh, I've learned so much about coins and uh, that habanero pepper coin, the agri-coin. I like it. I'll be getting you a bunch of the gay coins. I'm going to be sending you a few with a lucky charms opportunity. Just, <laughs> just William Quigley, Ken Rakowski, episode 17. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us right here on Coin DMZ. Uh-huh.